0: who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group text Just News to 989898 right now Hello America and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports the podcast from Just the News where today we're going to have a conversation with what I think is one of the more interesting interesting, um, new members of Congress. Kat Kamek has really come in from Florida as a Republican, the youngest woman uh, Republican elected last year in the 2020 election, and she is making a difference by putting ideas on the table, by going out and showing that constituent service isn't lip service, it's real service, and by now taking on the federal agencies that Joe Biden wants to expand all the big government that's going on. And the liberals are honest about this. They're doing exactly what they said they were going to do if they won the election. She is starting to put some alternative ideas onto the table about what to do. So if you're going to have bigger agencies, shouldn't we check them and see if they actually do what they say they're doing? If not, let's take the waste out of them. Let's save some of our tax dollars so we don't have to pay for things unnecessarily. Last week, she co-sponsored a resolution focused on this very idea. At the same time Joe Biden was talking about expanding government, she's saying, why don't we make sure the agencies that we're about to expand or spend more money on, that they're actually doing their job, that the taxpayers are getting their money's worth. going to be a great conversation with Congresswoman Kat Kamek. As you know, her husband is a first responder. When we had her on the show last time, she had a lot to say about uh, defunding police, and now we have a lot more data points about that. Last time we had her on, she was down at the border. We uh, she has some new thoughts about that, and the refugee cap increase that Joe Biden um, mentioned this week. Uh, if you go back, I just want to point this out as one little factoid. I did some digging on because I remember this. Uh, the Track uh, Group, uh, TRAC uh, study group at Syracuse University, took a look last year at refugee applications, and it turns out 74% of them get rejected, which means three-quarters of them were uh, did not meet the standard for refugee status. What does that tell you? There are a lot of people using it as a backdoor, not legitimate refugee status. A lot of resources are uh, assigned to adjudicate things, and if we had 75% of ambulance runs or police calls or firefighter uh, truck calls... Uh, being erroneous or not, not necessary, uh, we would be alarmed. And yet in this system where there's already a large number of rejections, a large number of inappropriate things, what are we seeing? We're seeing the president of the United States raised to, from 10 or 15,000 to 60, 70,000, 65,000. I think it's the number, the number of refugee uh, claim uh, uh, claims it will allow into the country. All it does is add another avalanche of people, everyone I'm talking to at least the experts I'm talking to are saying that we're going to talk to Congresswoman Kat Kamek about that in a summit, because I think she has a very strong opinion about that. All right. We're going to do a quick commercial break. When we come back, Congresswoman Kat Kamek, freshman Republican from the great state of Florida. Wow. We had her on the show once. Everybody was excited to have her. We're going to have her on again. Lots to talk about right after the commercial break. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest. We've already had her on the show once. She lit it up. We had to ask her to come back again. Congresswoman <laughs> Kat Kamick from the great state of Florida is joining us. Congresswoman, good to have you back.
1: Thank you so much, John. Great to be back.
0: Well, the last time we had you on this show, we were talking about defunding police and all of the different attacks on police. And I want to get back to that. But I first want to get to something because I was watching what you've been doing the last few days. And obviously... When the president gave his big speech before the joint session of Congress last week, it was all about big government, more taxes, more regulation, more government role in our lives. And I know you have a very different view of the role of government. I just want to see first your um, your over under on the president's speech and how you think everyday Americans received it.
1: Well, you know let's just call it what it is it was it was a dog and pony show it was all about you know smoke and mirrors and uh, just from the optics let's just start there you see uh uh the president of the united states who has been touting vaccines talking to a room full of people who have been vaccinated socially distanced and he's still wearing a mask and he's preaching about we need to get back to normal and we're going to get back to normal but we're going to do it safely every single person in that room abided by get a vaccine and wear a mask and do all these things right so if you're doing those things what's changed what is what does normal look like and so uh, i i i just the optics right out the gate were were pretty disturbing to me uh from from the whole you know we had to have a cap 200 people in in the the hall and and on the floor and and so that was bad but then you talk about the words that he said, and, and there was a lot of jumbled words. I think, um, you know, he didn't make a lot of sense when he was talking about certain things. And, and I think that's just a function of, of who he is. But the overall message was, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. That's what the message was. It was Americans cannot do for themselves. They don't know how to make decisions for their families or, or themselves. So we're, we as government, we're going to step in, and we're going to take care of you. And that was the message of you clearly aren't able to do this, so we're going to to help you, and you're going to pay for it. And when you look at all of the policies and programs that he was talking about putting forth, they all come with a pretty hefty price tag. And as I was, I was watching this, I'm making notes on my phone line after line after line, and the thing I kept coming back to was who's going to pay for this? who's going to pay for this? And he talked about, you know, the quote, unquote, um, top, top 1%, the rich need to pay their fair share. And he kept coming back to this, you know, oh, well, they, they, they pay 40% or or 40 billion. And I'm thinking you're, you're, you just passed a $2.1 trillion so-called COVID relief package. Now you're wanting a two plus trillion dollar so-called infrastructure package. They're pushing for more unemployment benefits, more in the lane of universal basic income, more universal health care. All these things come with price tags that we just simply can't afford. We could tax every single so-called wealthy American and company in America, and it wouldn't even come close to paying for the programs that the ultra-liberal left is pushing for. There was nothing moderate about his proposals. There was nothing bipartisan about his proposals. It was really just a, hey, I've checked the box and done the things that the ultra-liberal left wants me to do, and you all are going to pay for it. That's what it was in my eyes.
0: Yeah, it's really remarkable. When I came to town, I've been here 30 years, and it used to be we were spending our great grandchildren's fortune. Now we're spending our great-great-grandchildren's fortune, and I think the Biden plan just spent uh, the great 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 grandchildrens fortunes. The, The debt we're rolling up and the size of government we're rolling up is just beyond the size of what our economy can support. And so you did something last week. I was like when people uh, take their concerns and put them into action, you helped sponsor the uh, Finding Federal Savings Committee. Talk about this. This is the first time I think this whole year I've talked to someone who's actually thought, wouldn't it be a good idea if we cut some spending that was maybe wasteful? (laughs) I I couldn't believe it. It was like so against the grain. So tell us what, 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 uh, what motivated you to do this and what's the reaction been?
1: simple we we as everyday americans we have to live within our means and a budget and you know pay bills every month and it seems like the federal government doesn't and you know i know my husband and i at the at the end of the month when we're getting ready to pay bills we're always looking for areas that we can cut to save a little bit money or um maybe invest in something a little bit different or catch up if we're behind and novel idea i know the government should do the same. Yeah, it's amazing and... <laughs> that it's not
0: Isn't it crazy?
1: It, it's just common sense is not common, especially in Washington, D.C. <laughs> and so what we want to do is, you know, this this House Resolution 263, it's the Finding Federal Savings Committee, and it would establish a committee to analyze underperforming or non-essential federal programs and then recommend solutions to modify those programs. So it this is step zero. Of step one in actually cutting the unnecessary wasteful spending that goes on in government, and you know pick your agency you could pull one out of a hat when uh the government shut down uh the department of education they they furloughed ninety percent of their employees because they were deemed nonessential and when you start looking at the mission statements of these agencies and the sub agencies underneath them you see that they have strayed so far with mission creep from their original intent and so this would really be a concentrated dedicated effort to look at the mission statement and and really analyze is this agency doing exactly what it said it it set out to do and of course we all know i mean common sense tells us that no most of these agencies are far beyond that but this is a purposeful, laser-focused way for us to approach it in a very methodical way. Because so often we say, "Let's just cut, 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 cut." This is a way that we can actually take the burden of proof to every single legislator and say, "Listen, this is duplicative, or this is wasteful, this is wrought with fraud." Uh, th- there's just a, diff- a million different ways to skin a cat. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this this would be a way for us to do this with very, very methodical um, intent, and that is something that I haven't seen in Washington since I've been there. and something I haven't seen really in a decade of talking about how can we purposefully go through and surgically and sometimes with machete look at ways to cut, because right now it's so out of control. We are in a place where our mandatory spending is eating us alive, and we don't even have a discussion about our mandatory spending. It's all about discretionary. And if we were to leave things on autopilot and interest rates go up even a quarter of a percent, the interest on our debt alone would consume the majority of discretionary spending. So we're in a pretty tricky place right now, and we have to get to this place where we're looking at both mandatory and discretionary, but recognize that discretionary spending is going to be a non-issue if we can't get mandatory. Under control.
0: Yeah, I mean, and of
1: course we all know mandatory social security, Medicare, Medicaid, and a little bit of defense. Um, but the majority of defense spending is actually discretionary, which to me is mind blowing, considering that that is the number one charge of federal government is defense. So,
0: what well, we it really is remarkable. We 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 really are one interest point uh, increase away from a really catastrophic disaster in America. And there's just so few people, your present company excluded, obviously who really recognize the moment that could be awaiting it. We're never going to, you know, we've enjoyed these low interest rates for a really long time, but we're living on borrowed time when that interest rates go up, either to address inflation or because of some other element in the, in the uh, world, uh, we're, we're facing a grim reaper pretty quickly. And I think that's something we've tried to highlight in the show because it is a moment that's not, could be, Not that far off. Now, I love something you do on your website because it actually is the cure or a starting point for what you want to do with agencies. At the front of your website, when you first go to your website, you actually enumerate what you did for your constituents, amount of money delivered, uh, number of cases open, number of requests fielded. What if every federal agency had to do that every day for Americans and justify their existence? Could that be a good starting point for this? <laughs> I mean, I get on the first, within five seconds, I know exactly what you've done. It's amazing.
1: It's important. I mean, you know, listen, we, we work for the people. And I think a lot of, a lot of members, but also agencies forget that. They, they exist because the American people allow them to. And so it's really important for me as a representative for the 3rd District to show my constituents that, hey, every single month you're going to get an update. How many casework uh, issues are we, are we handling for people, whether it be IRS or Social Security or right. the VA? And a lot of the times, uh, the cases that we're working, they result in retroactive benefits that were owed to people that the government Boy, was withholding. Huge. For, for ridiculous reasons, um, you know, we've had veterans that have been owed benefits, and uh, we've had to go after them retroactively because they didn't get a literal check of a certain box. And the agency will hold that application for years and say, well, they mm-hmm. didn't check a box, so it needs to go to the back of the line. And so that's where we step in and say, no, this is ridiculous. That That is clearly not acceptable. You need to pay this veteran exactly what they are owed. You have a contract with them. You have to honor that contract. And so I'm really proud of the fact that our team, they work so hard and they have just in the short time we've been in Congress, four months, um, they've delivered over a half a million dollars uh, in direct hard money back to our constituents here in the third district. And that doesn't even include the stimulus uh, payments. and, And so that's, that's something I'm really proud of. They just really have a servant heart when it comes to taking care of our constituents. And That's, I hope that example can be uh, adopted by others for sure.
0: It is uh, what our founding fathers always intended members of Congress to do. And it's really great when you see one who can do it and also make it just so easy to see what it is that you've accomplished. I mean, I think about this and I look at one of the statistics on here, 300 plus constituent cases actively being worked right now. All of these are usually disputes with the government and what does it tell us it means our government is pretty dysfunctional that we have so many constituents you've only been in office a few months and you've got just one district right and there's 300 people that are are, have grievances with the united states government it's a sign of how dysfunctional our government has become and and uh, i think this theme that you're on about holding these agencies uh, accountable is going to become more and more popular i think there's a about to be a, a a counter swing against these bloated agencies that aren't, aren't living up to their mission. Really remarkable. Yeah.
1: Well, and, 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 and just, if you take a step back, it was, it was funny when I started working with constituents in, in this district so many years ago, it blew my mind that it really takes an act of Congress to get something done as far as, you know, your average normal day person, right? Hey, the IRS has not, you know, responded, you know, they, they owe me a refund. Or, um, you know, Social Security, hey, there was something been wrong, or I moved and my my address has changed, and I haven't received my Social Security in six months. Things like that just blow my mind that it's so bloated and so unresponsive that it takes a member of Congress to call that agency and say, hey, what is going on here? And that's when they start perking up because we control the purse strings. But it shouldn't take an act of Congress for these agencies that serve at the pleasure of the people to actually respond to them. So it's pretty frustrating, but um, I'm really glad that our team is so aggressive and bird-dogging these issues down. And for all of your listeners, I would say this. When um, my family was going through a really hard time several years ago, actually 10 years ago, we lost our cattle ranch because of a government program. Never in a million years did it cross my mind to call my member of Congress.
2: Isn't that something? And yeah.
1: Yeah. And so if you're if you're struggling with an agency, it could be, you know, a regulatory issue for your business, the EPA, OSHA, Department of Labor. It could be a personal issue uh, with Social Security or, um, you know, if you're a veteran, the VA. Any agency, even if it's a state agency, call your member of Congress. They can get you started and put a congressional flag on your inquiry. And really, really expedite the process. They can't guarantee an outcome, but we can at least advocate and be your voice. And so, please use your members of, of Congress as as an ally and an advocate because they work for you, and they're never gonna they're never gonna ask you what party you are. Um, and if they do, call me, and then we'll handle that.
0: But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't. They they see everybody, I, I, the Democrat Republican alike. You're right. They see them as constituents. That is important.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, such a good so, piece of advice. Yeah
0: a, yeah, yeah, a lot of people yeah. don't realize.
1: Use a of Congress, put them to work. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a good idea. What a great idea. Responsive government. I love it. All right, so one of the places that we're spending a lot of money right now is on the border crisis. And since the last time we talked, uh, the president finally used the word, the C word once. He called it a crisis once. Um, but we're spending just an inordinate amount of money to uh, process Put up children in hotels and other places. Uh, do you feel like there's been any progress? Has the president shown any uh, change in heart uh, with all the pressure that Republicans have put on going down to the border? Uh, is this crisis in at all in a chance of going in reverse, or are we stuck with it for the long term?
1: Uh, you know, unfortunately, I don't see the president or his administration or our so-called borders are um, changing changing their tune anytime soon. And, and that's frustrating because so many uh, members have been to the border personally to see what's happening down there. First. Yeah. And I myself have been down there twice. Right. And you can you can call it a public health crisis. You can call it a humanitarian crisis. You can call it a national security crisis. You can call it whatever crisis you want to call it, but it is still a crisis. And I think recognizing the problem is your first step right (laughs) you know you can't you can't fix something if you can't even call it what it is and so I I think that that's first and foremost what this administration needs to do second they need to actually get there and see for their own um themselves that this is truly truly unprecedented I speak with border agents on a weekly basis they send me weekly reports just unofficially texting me saying hey Kat, Boy, that's amazing last night
0: no kidding and, and,
1: yeah and 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 it breaks my heart because they'll tell me they'll, they'll say you know i have daughters this age you know i picked up a girl who had just been raped and my daughter's her mm. age and i just i it broke my heart i couldn't sleep or you know i i helped deliver twins on the banks of the river last night to a 16 you know a 16 year old and, wow. and and the stories they tell me weekly are just mind blowing and i I just don't see how someone in government who knows what's happening, who has a responsibility who who really is responsible for this through very dangerous rhetoric, encouraging people to come here illegally and not enforcing the laws that are on the book that is just unconscionable, and the human trafficking that I have seen firsthand on the border is the reason why I have really pushed to call this administration out and say, you're complicit in this trafficking and smuggling of children. Their innocence is being stolen. And this is a great thing for the cartels because the American government is helping facilitate the full circle of smuggling and trafficking because we're taking these kids in. They don't have any parents with them. They have no no way to find their way or get support here in the United States other than through government programs and we're processing them now so fast that the cartels are saying great the Americans you know they're helping us out we can get more people across cuz they're not going to be overwhelmed and it's not going to be technically a crisis if they're just moving people through quicker so we're getting more efficient at processing people which is a good and bad thing but more so bad than anything because we're complicit with the cartels now. And it's big business. The cartels are making fifteen million dollars a day. A
2: day. Yes. Wow.
1: A day. A day. Oh. Um, you know, they're sending two thousand across a day. That's six that's like six K roughly mm-hmm. for every man, woman and child. And they're recycling children that are under the age of six because if you are if you're over the age of eighteen, you you don't get to come in you get turned right back around the only reason that you would be staying in the United States is if you had a child under the age right. of six and so these kids under the age of six are being recycled they are attached to an adult they get them across and then they fly the kid back and the little kid makes the trek from Guatemala Honduras Nicaragua and they come back again with a new adult because they're not running biometrics on children under the age of fourteen and I just think, you know, it's such a shame that this administration is so insecure and so petty that they can't even keep the policies in place that we're working, that the Border Patrol agents on the ground, that the sector chiefs have been saying we're working just because it happened under the Trump administration. The the Title 42 extension, the migrant protection protocol, the building of the wall that is truly a force multiplier um for these agents and they all say it works and it's also it's very scary for a lot of these communities in the area because the wall structure acts as a levee and protects about 250,000 residents just in the the Rio uh, Grande Valley sector this is flooding season coming up come June they're going to get completely wiped out if this border wall in that section doesn't get fixed and built mm-hmm. and people don't care they say we're going to pay these contractors yep. to keep sitting there, but not build the wall. And the hope for this administration is that the money will run out. It's pretty, it's It's pretty it's unconscionable.
0: Yeah, no, it's just creating a cycle of, of, of constant crisis and disaster and human, human disaster. I mean, each of these families when they're, when they're trafficked by the cartels, maybe they get a little money short term, but they're losing uh, a lot of, um, uh, dignity, and they're taking enormous risks with their children. It's a terrible thing. Now, over the weekend, the president uh, finally officially raised the asylum caps, which originally he said he wasn't going to do, and then he changed his his tune and, and moved it to sixty five thousand. I want to ask you about this because when you look at the statistics, I think um, uh, University of Syracuse, the Track uh, Data Center there, which is a very respected um, data center in academia, at seventy three percent of the time, almost seventy four percent of the time, when someone comes here with an asylum claim, it is an illegitimate one. It doesn't meet the standards of the law. So we've gone from processing 10,000 where there's a backlog already. Now we're going to process 65,000. Is this just another effort to put stress on a system that's already overstressed?
1: Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, You know, under the migrant protection protocol that we had, the Remain in Mexico policy that was implemented by President Trump, people would come up to legal ports of entry and they would, um, at, at one of the checkpoints, you know, file their their application, return to Mexico or their home country, right. where they would go through the process in country, and that's the way it's supposed to go. Of the 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 members that that the folks that wanted to go through this process under the MPP policy, only ten percent have actually returned to the United States. To actually do the interviews, mm. and of that ten percent, only ten percent are actual asylum applicants that have been approved. Wow! So that tells you that this is this is not true asylum, which really is a disservice to the cases that we have where people are truly fleeing from uh, dangerous situations, persecution. The these these folks that just are looking for either opportunity and and yeah. you know again if this can send to an immigration situation which I, I like to say that the immigration situation and the border security situation are two very separate things. We shouldn't we shouldn't conflate the two because immigration has been broken for 30 years. And that is that is both Republicans and Democrats that have been complicit in keeping a broken system. And and so that's a totally different issue right the issue of border security is people are coming here under the pretense of i'm fleeing from a dangerous situation in my home my home country when in reality they aren't or they're being used by the cartels and my office just sent a letter to facebook um because a lot of the men and women that i spoke with at the border who were um, being detained by uh, customs and border patrol said oh i got an ad on facebook
0: Oh, really? Oh, I'd love to see that. That's an important letter. So Facebook's part of the ecosystem here.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes. And TikTok. TikTok has turned into one of the biggest platforms that the cartels use to recruit um, people to come to the United States and to um, carry drugs, weapons, and drivers. They are constantly recruiting drivers to smuggle people in. Wow. And, um, yeah, so it's it's. A very complicated issue, but I think when we send a message, uh, when when President Biden says I'm I'm increasing the caps, that sends a message that hey, just keep on doing what you're doing, just keep on sending them, and it's a great day in America for the cartels because they're making a ton of money on the the weapons, the guns, um, the drugs, and the people um, that they're sending over. And the sad part is, is that all of these drugs that are being smuggled in, and, and a great example is fentanyl is up 5,000% this year wow. from where it was this time last year, Ugh. 5,000%. It's it's pretty horrific. And people say, well, the border, you know, we're not a border state. I mean, in Florida, we are. um, But, uh, you know, you could be in Ohio. You could be in Colorado. You right. could be, every state is a border state. It, yep. Because these drugs Once it gets are over, it community. comes in. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I've talked to my sheriff, uh, a couple of my sheriffs here in my district, and they said, oh, drugs are way up. My husband, who's the first responder, he has had uh, a real, you know, real increase in overdoses that he's been responding to.
2: Mm. And
1: they're starting to mix fentanyl and heroin together. This is all coming from across the border. This is landing in our hometowns and it's something that every, every single American should be very cognizant of and worried about and putting pressure on this administration to take action.
0: Yeah, such an important thing. And that takes me to my last topic. I know you got to get back to work, but I wanted to ask you quickly, the uh, when you were on here last, you spoke so eloquently of the war on cops and this uh, defunding police and all of the other things that go with it. A few months have passed. Uh, the the Chauvin tri- uh, jury trial verdict is in. Do you think there's a moment now for Democrats to recalibrate and realize maybe they've taken this too far? Uh, Or do you think the assault on police, politically speaking, uh, continues and and becomes one of the primary issues of the 2022 campaign?
1: I think it's going to continue. You know, I I think we saw with with the conviction, a window opened up for instead of people to step back and say, you know, listen, calmer heads need to prevail. The justice system worked the way that it was intended. A jury of his peers um, have held him accountable. I think based on the conversations that I've had and the things that I've heard from some of my colleagues across the aisle, they see this as a way to double down on really the assault on the law enforcement community, which is very troubling for me because they they are really perverting um, issues within the law enforcement community, such as, you know, qualified immunity and saying, you know, oh, we've got to get rid of it. Qualified immunity doesn't protect an officer who is a bad officer no it doesn't you know if he goes out and and you know murder someone he's not immune to that you know it's that's not what it is at all and so much of these issues are wrapped up together and they're they're driving a wedge between communities and the law enforcement that protects them and if you just look in your own hometown recruitment is down retention is down they're retiring in droves Families are having very tough conversations at the kitchen table saying, you know, honey, I don't think this is what, you know, we've got, we've got children. There's so many other things you could do. I think it's time for you to leave the force. And I know that those conversations are happening because, you know, my husband and I have had those conversations and our friends have had those conversations. It's really scary when you send your your significant other out in the morning on either a 24 hour or 12 hour shift, not knowing if they're going to come back. Because some knucklehead has been emboldened by leaders of our country, like Maxine Waters, who says you need to get up in their face, you need to get more confrontational, you need Mm. to do things to let them know that we mean business. Words have consequences. And I think people need to take a step back and recognize that our men and women in uniform are members of the community. They're sons, they're daughters, they're husbands, wives, they coach Little League. They're part of the PTA. They are part of the community, and they themselves want better, safer, stronger communities for their own families. There's bad apples in every bunch, for sure. But a complete overhaul where we break down these departments, we defund them, we strip them of the very little that they currently have is a recipe for disaster we are already seeing increased crime all across the country in cities that have defunded their police departments. that's the amazing thing and it's hitting in the smaller yeah it's hitting in smaller and mid-sized departments too so um i'm going to be doing several ride-alongs across the country this year um showing uh really what goes through uh, what happens in a day in a shift um so that people can see firsthand that it's it's not easy There is no such thing as a routine traffic stop, Um, and I think if people understand and walk in their shoes for even an hour, their tune would change quite a bit. So that's my goal, is really to expose um, the dangers and the sacrifice and service that our men and women in uniform do and give every day, um, and really to bolster the resources that they need to improve, to get better training, to get more resources, to get that critical life-saving equipment on their backs and in their vehicles. That is what our goal is. And um anyone who is uh in favor of that I will work with regardless of political affiliation. I'm really proud to champion this cause.
0: Yeah, it's such an important one. And I think you you said it, but the proof is in the pudding. The communities where they've tried to funding have all, all seen this incredible rise in in uh crime and a decrease in officer recruitment and an increase in retirement. It's a self-fulfilling uh, disaster underway. It's, I mean, the statistics are just irrefutable, and you've been one of the first to really speak out. Now, have any members of Congress offered to go along on and ride-alongs? I remember last time you are here, you would put the offer out. Any members willing to no. jump?
2: No.
0: <laughs> Isn't that amazing?
2: <laughs> no.
1: You know, um, I'm not surprised. I, I have to say I'm not really surprised, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we give up. I, I, I hate gimmicky things. I was very, very serious when I put the offer out um for folks to to do a ride along with me and and their local departments or if they want to come to my district I'd be happy to put them in a squad car with with one of my guys or gals. Um I think that a lot of my colleagues maybe saw it as a gimmick, but I can tell you in the hallway as I've you know caught them, you know, walking the other direction or whatever, I'll catch them and I'll say, Hey, did you get my letter? And they're like, Oh, oh yeah, I guess I did. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna be in your state on this date. Let me know if we can get together, and they're they're taken back a little bit because I don't think they've ever really had someone who followed up. Yeah. <laughs> like- um I, I think that's a little a little different up in D C there's not a lot of follow up that goes on. But Isn't that true? I'm gonna keep on it. I, I, I really think it's important to share the stories of our men and women in uniform. So I'll keep you posted for when I actually such get someone to pick me up on
0: this. Yeah, such an important thing. We really <laughs> wanna we really wanna stay on top of that. Final question I want to ask you, this election, what when, when we boil it all down and of course you just won your first big election, um when we boil it down in twenty twenty two, what do you think the question will be that voters will go into the booth asking themselves uh, in 2022? What's really the the question in which this next election is going to turn?
1: The question that I I think runs through voters' minds um, when they go in, and um, it definitely goes through mine, is, you know, has my life been improved? Is my life better or worse from the leadership of the last two years? And I think when voters go in in the midterms, they're going to look at what has been talked about and what has been done they're going to see the fact that our restaurants and our service and retail industries are have been decimated not not from covid but from a stimulus a continual stimulus payment of government paying people now to work uh i think they're going to see an increase in prices on goods and services food uh at the pump because the policies of this administration are increasing the prices for everything um, that impacts us every day. I think they're gonna say, you know, there's been an assault on law enforcement officers, and I guarantee someone, someone ha- somewhere has a connection to a first responder. And they're gonna say, my kids, you know, we got vaccines, we, we did everything right, we're still wearing masks, and my kids aren't in school. You know, they're going to say there was a lot of talk, but not a lot of action. And I think at the end of the day, Americans really appreciate balance. And we see that right now the Democrats control the House, the Senate and the White House. We don't like the direction that things are going. I talk to independents. I talk to Democrats. I talk to Republicans. Not, not many people really like the direction of where we're headed. Yeah, so I think, I think right. it's going to be the ultimate red wave the thing that i i tell people is regardless of if you find yourself on the more conservative side of the republican politics spectrum or more moderate going into the midterms we have to be one team one mission i think americans like myself we are sick and tired of the fractured party we are sick and tired of the inner struggle and fighting that's going on we want a unified one mission one team mentality that will carry us into midterms because it's not enough for us to just be opposed and stand in objection to the democrats we have to have a plan moving forward of why this plan is better and how it's going to be more beneficial for our families here back at home and so for the next two years that's what i'm focused on is really making sure that we are one team one mission that we are focused on positive solution-oriented policies rather than just beating everybody up and really taking a firm stance that Americans know what is best for themselves and their families and that a big bloated government that we have to put the bill for at the end of the day, that's the wrong way for us moving forward. We like freedom and freedom is a very powerful motivator. So I am putting my faith in the American people that they're gonna vote overwhelmingly for a conservative uh, Republican House in
0: two years well we're going to find out i think this is going to be the election where americans answer is a bigger government the solution that's what joe biden has argued or is bigger government the problem which is what ronald reagan argued over 40 years ago i think that's going to be our our big debate for the 2022 election congresswoman i can't thank you enough for the time you spent all the important information that you've imparted here you're, you're really making a difference in washington sometimes freshmen take a couple of years to get running and going and you're you're uh you're making a difference every day and it's so much fun to see in action
1: hey thank you so much I really appreciate you and thank you for what you
0: do all right that sounds good we're gonna have you back on soon I'm certain of that awesome <laughs> take sounds care congressman I
1: appreciate
0: it God bless you thank <laughs> you Thanks. all right folks we're gonna go to a quick commercial break when we come back we're gonna wrap things up for the day who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group text Just News to 989898 98 98 right now. Hey folks, it's John Solomon here. Today I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where we're so grateful you listened today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Congresswoman Kamek. We got a lot out of it. We covered a lot of territory from elections to the Biden speech to uh, uh, defunding police, uh, immigration crisis, and holding government accountable for the pennies and dollars and billions, trillions that they're now spending of our money an interesting idea. So few people in this avalanche of spending that we've witnessed in the last year under both President Trump and President Biden and under both a Republican and Democratic Congress. So few people are talking about the accountability for that money, your money. And that's why we're so excited to hear what, what they have to say today. I thought Congresswoman Kamek put an idea down. Why don't we have a committee, bipartisan, just go look at agencies and find the places where our money isn't being well spent, and fix it or save the money. How hard is that? Very important idea, though it's not being talked about much in the mainstream media, in the media at all, in Congress at all, in the federal agencies. It is a winning issue for many of the people I talk to. They are tired of their trillions of dollars, of their great-grandchildren, their great-great-great-grandchildren's money being spent already this year. Uh, What an idea. Uh, We'll have to keep an eye on that bill and see if it advances in the Congress. All right, we'll be back tomorrow with some more reporting and some new great guests. Until then, may God bless you and God bless his incredible country as he always has, the United States of America. Good night. Godspeed. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year and then the inflation data came out.